You're listening to the Dental Sherpas Podcast, where we make it easier to transform your practice, get out of the chair, and into the life you want. Hey, docs. Dr. Sed Lewis here. We're always looking to add great docs to our team. What we have created is a practice that's literally built for you to shine. Hey, and guess what? You get to practice dentistry in paradise here in Hawaii. If you're at all interested and are exploring a position in our practice, please contact me at Dr. Lewis at KakuaSmiles.com. That's Dr. Period Lewis, L E W I S, at Kokua, K O K U A, smiles.com. Love to hear from you. Can't wait to speak to you. Well, we're back again for another episode of the Dental Sherpas podcast. As always, it's your co host, Matt Kennedy, with my good friend and mentor in many ways and co host, um, Dr. Cedric Lewis, out in Honolulu, Hawaii. Great to see you again today, Ced. How are things going for you? Things are going great. Loving the weather here. You want, you want the weather report again, Matt? Hey, why not? I mean, let's, let's, when you got a good thing going, it's, let's stick with it. Give routine. us the weather report. It's, it's, it's to make all you, well, it is summertime. So mostly around the country are probably enjoying their own warm weather. But uh, yeah, it's a beautiful day in Hawaii. It uh, looks like we've got uh, clear blue skies, we've got uh, you know, low 80s, and uh, we got some surf on the South Shore. So we got a nice little bump coming in. So excited about that. Looking forward to getting out in the water with my son this week. So it's been a, it's been a good time. I had a great Father's Day yesterday. Both you and I are sharing some great stories. And so, my son's promised me some getting me out in the water with him. So I'm, I'm going to take advantage of that while he's already promised me something. Hopefully hey, we keep that promise. Hey, <laughs> absolutely. And those days are uh, rapidly coming to an end for both of us as our boys yep. uh, are growing up. So yeah, happy absolutely. Father's Day to you and happy Father's Day to any of our uh, fathers out there listening and hope you guys had a wonderful time. Said, so let's dive into our topic today because we got a lot to cover here. I'd like to talk a little bit about, as we were talking off air, about the associate model of dentistry. And, you know, that's certainly the path that you have chosen to take. And I want to kind of give us a little teaser here at the beginning. We're going to talk about why the associate model uh, of dentistry is so prevalent and why you need to understand it for our listeners out there at the end of the podcast. But let's talk about um, evaluating whether or not the associate model is for you. So talk about that a little bit in terms of our listeners out there understanding a little bit about the associate model and, you know, is it really for you? Right. Yeah. So a lot of times when I talk to docs about that and they're asking me how it's like running a, a multi-associate practice and they'll say, well, how do I do it or whether I should do it? And the question I usually ask them is like, well, you know, what are your goals? Like, what are you trying to accomplish? I mean, I try to get an idea of what they're trying to basically get to. Like we were always talking about at Pat podcast, past podcast about like knowing where you're going, you know? And so my question to a lot of those guys is like, okay, what do you want? What are you trying to do? What's your ideal practice look like? What is your role? What do you want to accomplish? And so what I do find, and several of them will tell me, well, I want to grow. I want the practice to do better. And the next question I would ask them would be like, well, is what's, what's your role in all of that? You know, is that something where you're going to be just doing more dentistry? Are you going to be doing different techniques? Are you going to be doing a different kind of uh, you know, niche dentistry? What, what's it going to be? What's your role? What's your goals? And what I typically have found is that, uh, you know, there's a, it's all across the map, obviously. But I, what I typically have found is that in many cases, it more and more comes down to most of them want to have a similar situation. They want to make more money. They want to work less. They want more freedom. And so that oftentimes is where it starts with. So that being said, um, going into my explanation to them is that, well, that's why the associateship model typically will sort of work help in many of these cases. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really, you know, one of the places that I see doctors hang up 
or get hung up, and I know you see doctors get hung up, is this mindset around the fact that, you know, associate doctors will never be as good as, you know, of a doctor as I am. Nobody can do it as good as I can. You know, I tried an associate before they were terrible, all of those kinds of things. And it's really a, a, uh, a hyper control mindset Mm -hmm. versus a growth mindset. And so I love that you're talking about saying, Hey, if you want to grow, let's really kind of put pencil to paper and figure out how you're going to do it. Because if it's all about control, you've only got, you know, a really narrow margin for growth, right? Because you're going to have to specialize, you're going to have to do more work, which is the very thing that you're saying you don't want. You want more freedom. And yet you don't think anybody else can do as good a job as you can speak to that a little bit, that control mindset versus the growth mindset. Yeah, and, that, and it's funny because many of them will, will tell me that those who are really, you know, entrenched in the solo practice is that they really feel like the more you grow, the more the quality goes down, right? Or they, the patient isn't taken care of really well, or somehow you're, you're mismanaging the patient-doctor uh, relationship. And so I'm always kind of inquiring about that. I, I'm like, well, I mean, I can understand how you might think a larger company will, will be a little less personal, but... You know, tell me more about like why you would think you can't, in many respects, create a company that can create a culture of taking care of patients better, that actually has values that are going to make sure there's consistency of care across the board, where that it's not all on you. And that's not always talking about these guys. Ultimately, if there's any model that puts all that on one person, all that pressure, all that expectations on one person, there is no growth, right? Yeah. Whether it's personal, financial, or spiritual growth, it's all based on what you bring to the table. And then that becomes a situation, I talk about this quite a bit when I talk to doctors, is like, you know, if you want the growth, you got to get yourself to a point where you're no longer working in the practice, you're going to be working on the practice. And so what I'm always conveying to people is that in order to basically grow anything, if you want to basically have growth, if you're going to be in a practice where it's solely based on you and your ability to produce dentistry, your ability to affect patient relationships, your ability to provide great quality, it's only going to be as far as you can go. And I think I've talked about this many times before, you become the bottleneck to the growth of your own business. And you also become the biggest constraint of growth because of your inability to get it out of your own way. Yeah, yeah, it, it is the great paradox, right? And it, it was the hardest thing for me to get my mind around. It's the hardest thing for a lot of people to get their mind around is that, you know, we are our own constraint. We are our own block uh, to the growth there. So, so I love that, uh, uh, you know, what are your goals? What are your plans? Do you want to grow? And how are you going to grow if you're not going to use the associate model? And is that the way you're going to grow going to give you what you want, which you say is more money, more freedom, um, less days in the chair, those kinds of things. So secondly, right. uh, talk about number two. We kind of, uh, we've talked a lot about this, about uh, really changing your mindset and, and, and thinking about leadership skills. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So I, one of the common things I'm always meeting these guys, and just to your point, I just had a conversation uh, the other week, you know, before I went to Kona, I went to meeting the doctor here in Honolulu, and he's had the same story you had. He had had an associate before, didn't work out, was really upset that, you know, hey, this was a really pain in the butt, and it didn't quite go the way I wanted to. And so I'm always kind of just conveying to them, like, well, what did you do to develop him? I mean, besides just giving him patience, did you actually go ahead and mentor him? Did you go ahead and try to provide some support? Did you did you try to create scenarios where he could be successful? It's like, well, you know, my practice is busy. I gave him all the patients. He had my best assistant. It's up on, it's on him. I'm like, no, it's on you. You're the leader of the organization. At the end of the day, you take accountability for his success as much as you're taking, 
you know, success for the fact that he's not as good as you. I mean, I guess that's not the best way to convey it, but he was so worried about the fact that this guy didn't measure up to what he should have been. And my question in competition was always like, well, what did you bring to the table? Yeah. You know, yeah, you brought patience. Yeah. You brought staff. Yeah. You brought your success to the table, but ultimately, you know, I, and I, I use this term again and again and again, you had to be focusing on rebuilding, on building up people, not rebuilding teeth. Your whole success measure is like how good he works on teeth, how good he is as a dentist, or how good does he fit into your practice clinical model? And so what I'm always kind of really conveying is like part of that level of basically growing the business is not going to be based solely upon your ability to just do clinical dentistry or your ability basically to, to have this effort to kind of show the way based on your clinical acumen. I think the one thing I'm always kind of making sure that's really clearly understood by anyone who wants to go in this direction and the associate model needs to be addressed in any capacity. The reason it typically fails is because the owner doctor fails to recognize how important leadership and mentorship is incredibly important in that relationship with the associates if you want that to work. The biggest failures I see typically is this level of expectation the associate has and the level of expectation of the ownership and they never quite get together on that. Mm-hmm. So what I'm always saying is that that's why I think the associate model really works well if the owner, doctor, and, and, and leadership in that particular company understands that relationship and more importantly, cultivates it rather than making it just an add-on. I, I think I've used this in past discussions where the associates have to be part of the process. They just can't be kind of thrown in there and expect to grow. And that's why I'm always saying the, the level of, of the associate-driven practice is successful based on the, on the, on the model that ownership or leadership has to basically cultivate that particular growth of the associate doctor's ability to perform well by being a great mentor, by being a great leader, and provide an ability for that person to feel valued in the organization rather than just simply being an add-on to that practice. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was thinking of a uh, an example. My son is playing AAU basketball this summer, and he's in high school. He's 15, about to turn 16. And, you know, when he was playing elementary basketball, middle school basketball. It really was, you know, the, the team that had the best athletes wins the games, right? But as he's moving into high school, I'm just so convinced, Cedric, that the team with the best coach has is really 90% of the game. Now, sure, there's high school players that are phenomenal athletes, and if you get five or six of those on your team, that can overcome a lot. But it's so amazing to watch the difference between really good coaches and coaches who just sit over there and yell at folks. In fact, I've kind of got a little rule in in my head. It's like, hey, if you're a coach, you can't yell at a player or be upset with a player about them doing something that you haven't specifically coached them on. Like you can't say, now, why did you do that? Unless in practice you have spent time with them coaching them on that. That's your role as a coach and as a teacher. And so I think the same is true here. It's that, yeah, of course, they're not a great associate. If they were a great doctor and a great producer, and they wanted to be a great leader and all that kind of stuff, they'd open their own practice, right? Mm -hmm. But when they're coming in, um, you know, with you, shifting your role over into being that great leader and that great coach uh, is so critical. In fact, so what I'm hearing you say is, if the associate model is going to be for you, then you have to be willing to invest in creating uh, a coachable environment, number one, and number two, invest in gaining those leadership skills to be able to be that coach that they're looking for, right? Yeah, and I think that, and again, just to kind of reiterate, I think that's where the big disconnect becomes. I think when I've seen failed associateships or or seen several doctors who've tried that and they go back, ah, it doesn't work for me and I'm not going to do that whole associate model, 
It's inevitably because they fail to recognize that or more importantly, look within themselves and realize, hey man, I gotta make a change. I mean, yeah. that's the thing, right? We talked about that before is that the biggest challenge we've seen with some of those doctors who are kind of at that level in their practice or, or their type of you know uh, timeline in their practice where they've been burning themselves out or they're ready for associate. Many of them have never taken the investment in themselves to understand that what they wanna be, you know, basically find an associate, they want some relief from that burnout. They have to actually look at how, how do I need to change my skill set so I actually can encourage and cultivate that kind of culture of the practice so I can bring someone on who then can help me meet the goals and objectives I want to make. So that's yeah. the kind of the paradox, right? It's like you're helping yourself, but you have to help others to actually help yourself by doing that. Yeah. And we, you know, we've done a lot of uh, episodes around leadership and, you know, I, I do want to be practical. In fact, even said, I'll just say on here, you know, the more and more I'm thinking about you know, what you and I are, are rolling out in terms of, um, you know, the dental Sherpas and helping doctors with what we're calling next level practice or next level academy. I mean, gosh, leadership coaching and leadership training, just really practical leadership stuff is so important. And it's really as simple as kind of sitting down and going, okay, you know, what are the eight principles that I just intuitively picked up over 20 years of being a clinician that i kind of go through a mental checklist in my head every day about these eight principles and start by writing those down and right. then coaching those with the associates, taking your right. experience, quantifying those, putting them into nice little nuggets or little sayings that the associate right. can take. Because what ends up happening is the associate, they don't know when they're going to need that, but they'll get into a situation and your little, you know, principle number two, you know, uh, your little maxim pops in their head and right. then they know what to do next. I was watching my son. I realized play basketball this weekend. I realized that there was a move that, that he did on defense. And I realized, Oh, my coach from 30 years ago, you know, had a little saying that was, you know, always force baseline, always force baseline. And he did that because whenever you had uh, an offensive player with the ball in the corner and you were guarding him, he, you actually had two other defenders. You had the baseline and the sideline. And so mm -hmm. you wanted to force them into that corner. So after the game, the coach yelled at, at my son because the player went around him and scored. And after the game, we were driving home and I said, hey, man, let me tell you something. Whenever you're thinking about where to be on the floor defensive-wise, always force baseline. Here's why. And that just came in my head. And mm -hmm. I think that's exactly what needs to happen, you know, for you experienced docs out there. You know how to do it. You've been yeah. doing it for years. Just right. take a little time to quantify it. There, that, that's a good little place to start um, mm -hmm. there in terms of uh, becoming a leader there. Yeah, got anything else to add to that? No, I just think that's the level. I'm glad we're bringing these things up. This is, again, I think we started the podcast talking about is it is the associate uh, model for you, but I think we're identifying some of the actual things that people don't even think about. Like, well, the reason many people don't think about it because they don't understand exactly what it takes to even have the associate model and understanding that if you think along these ways, you're opening yourself up and your practice to a whole different things that can help improve your situation you're currently in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk about the third uh, thing you need to think through asking the question is the associate model really for you? Yeah, so this is the thing that we have to talk about. I think many people out there think there's an actual choice to go, well, I'll just completely, I'll just continue being a solo doctor and I'll just get into this role and it's going to work out because I'm not going to be one of these guys who gets into these bigger practices because I want to have the autonomy, I want to have the freedom, I want to have the ability to, to call my shots. 
And what I would share with many of you out there is that you may not have that particular choice as much as you think you do, because the economics aren't in your favor anymore. I think many of us out there know, I'm sure you, some of you might have read the Dental Economics uh, you know, report about this, but DSOs and group practices are growing at a 20% clip per year. They're growing quickly. And it's mm -hmm. not because they're trying to beat you up or to kind of you know, take you out of business. It's just because that's the model that's resonating with the market moving forward. And a lot of it's based on a couple of things not going your way as a solo practitioner. Number one, you know, what's happening is that as we're all aware of this docs, it's a very expensive proposition to run dental practices, right? You have to remember everything is kind of working against you from a business owner standpoint, running a dental practice. You've got vendors costs going up typically at a clip anywhere between 10 to 15% sometimes with all the clinical supplies we get, with all the supplies we're getting in the office supplies, you're looking at staff, your staff expect raises, right? They don't have to stick around. I mean, as much as you're wonderful and you take them out to lunch and you pat them on the back, they want to get paid, right? You have to understand as a solo practitioner, your expectation is you have to constantly make more revenue. In order to kind of keep up, you got to make it up. And that means making it up with revenue. And I think that's a challenge that many of you don't think about. I don't know, here's the other thing. Here's the, the one big zinger is that as all our costs are going up, docs, insurance reimbursements are going down. I think most of us know that in every market across the country, insurance reimbursements are either flat or in some markets are even going down and some of them drastically. I think in the state of Washington, they had one of their bigger carriers drop the crown fees down, I think like 10 or 15%. I could be wrong on the exact number, but I do know the state of Washington had a big, big decrease on a lot of their fees with some of their larger insurance carriers there. So, and why is that happening? It's not because they're out to get you. It's because, let's be honest, it's the, the in the market, more and more dental practices are competing with each other. The, dental, the insurance companies leverage that. They know they can bring fees more competitive for the subscribers. And therefore, they don't have to raise fees because they got other doctors who will take, who will take those fees for you. And so the reality is that as a solo practitioner, it becomes harder to basically make money because you're having to compete against guys like me or even lar much larger entities than me who have several doctors together who can make it up by just doing more volume, by having more patients come in their practice where they're not gonna be a situation where they're held to a certain limits. They continue to grow their market for more hygiene coming through, through more doctors coming through, for capturing more market share, more patients are coming to their practice. And if you don't understand the game and you allow that to keep happening, thinking that you're gonna insulate yourself because I'm a small guy and I'm gonna have more control and I'm gonna have more comfort in that regard, it's a dying proposition. And I say that just to be extremely concerned because I'm a little worried that if someone just thinks they can kind of just be insulated from all that, it's just the way this industry is headed. It happened to several industries. It's happened to the pharmacist. It's happened to the dermatologist. Heck, it's happened to chiropractors now. Yeah. So it's going in that direction. In fact, I just saw in, in Hawaii, there's urgent care clinics are now being all gobbled up by larger entities. Sure. Your companies are coming and buying up all the urgent care clinics in Hawaii. That's right. So this is something that's happening. It's not something that is, is going to be, we're going to be insulating ourselves from it. You might think, well, I'm in a market's never going to happen to me. It's coming. Mm -hmm. It's coming. It's coming in every market. You know, who would have well, thought out here in Hawaii, middle Pacific that it get to us? Well, it's coming. <laughs> Yeah, it's coming. Yeah. So, well, and, and you ahead, mentioned, you mentioned that uh, you know in that dental economics article that uh, DSOs are are growing by twenty percent um, per year, and I think you also said, correct me if I'm wrong, in that same article that solo practitioners are losing market share, right, uh, by about negative five percent. 
uh, yeah. per year. So as the DSL yeah. model is, which, which really, let's talk about that. I mean, the DSL model, let's translate that to the solo doctor out there. Yeah. What we're talking sure. about is, is an associate driven model, right? right? You know, now the DSO combines together and they, they're able to negotiate some insurance, you know, reimbursements that might be different than you. They're able to negotiate some supply costs that might be different than you. They can also make up, you know, any type of economic um, shortfall through just economies of scale, right? So the DSO combining together to do that. But think in terms when you're hearing us, what we're saying is an associate, you know, driven model is the future really of dentistry. Um, I was sitting in, I've told this, I think before on the podcast, but I was sitting in Memphis, Tennessee um, last year, uh, actually the year before last, pre-COVID, um, with about 35 D3 and D4 dental students. And I asked them, how many of them want to own their own practice? And out of 35 of them, one raised their hand. The rest wanted to go be associate doctor somewhere, right? So that is where everyone is going. I asked them why, and they said, we don't know how to run a business. We don't really want to run a business. There's multiple, you know, they get multiple offers every day. They don't really understand those offers, but they get all these people on campus trying to recruit them. They put their, you know, resume out there or their CV out there and they get all kinds of phone calls. And so they're already, the big DSOs are already training the, the dental students to think in terms of an associate model, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and then to your point, I can almost I'll speak more uh, succinctly to your discussion about these young doctors coming to dental school. And, and besides the fact that they none of them feel comfortable running a business, none of them, you know, really feel like they're ready for it. Some of them are getting all these offers. And here's the other reality: those guys are facing. They're like in crushing debt when they come out yeah. of dental school. Oh yeah. You know? Oh yeah. And if you're graduating now, you're looking at on the bare minimum a quarter of a million dollars in debt, and many Absolutely. of them are carrying five hundred thousand dollars or more in debt. Absolutely. And so the model is headed that way because, and don't think for a second, DSOs and larger, uh, larger practices don't know this. They're going out gobbling up all those doctors because they realize that those doctors are now being great doctors who can come join their organization and then get a good landing spot there. And the reality is because of that issue, you know, either you can learn to actually help get to a point and actually be in that game and maybe attract those doctors and provide them a better option than a big DSO or a big group practice. But if you think that a doctor is going to come and buy your practice these days and, and kind of, you know, oh, well, I'm going to find the right doctor who's going to come buy my practice and keep my small, you know, blueprint still available and I'll still be able to resonate. I would challenge you that, yeah, it may happen in isolated cases, but it's not happening a lot anymore. It's just, yeah. it's a big, it's a real issue. It's a real change in the industry that needs to be talked about, that needs to be understood. So doctors out there who think they can kind of keep themselves away from the larger group model or that the associate model or just call, let's call it multi-doctor model. I think associate model connotes an idea that some doctors feel, well, I can, you know, maybe you get a partner, maybe you bring a couple of guys together. That can, that's sure. the model I think we need to talk about. That's what's going to keep you around, I think, because then you're going to be able to have people share the challenge and share the burden. So you actually can get yourself in the game rather than getting beat up by some of the larger guys out there. Yeah. And, you know, finally, one of the reasons that, you know, we're really trying to say here at the end of this podcast episode we're saying hey docs kind of open your eyes Mm -hmm. to what's happening don't stick your head in the sand right is um also applies to kind of a a a mindset or a philosophy that i see doctors have all the time you see doctors have all the time and we're calling it like the freedom mirage right Right. they say well i don't want to go to work for a dso 
or I don't want to have an associate driven model so that I can have control. I can work four days a week and I can have all of this freedom and make as much as I want. Does, right. Is that really happening out there, Seth, or is that a no. mirage? The yeah, freedom let's, mirage. Let, yeah, let's let's talk about that freedom mirage. So I always, I had this conversation several times. I've spoke about this at a couple of conferences and met with different doctors at uh, at different meetings. And I always kind of bring them to the idea: of, Are you really having freedom? So when you go on vacation, let's say you take a day off, and you and your wife decide to take a couple of days off and go, you know, for go a golf vacation. I'm all like, when you realize when you close the door, how much freedom do you really have? Because you're still having to pay rent on that empty space going on right now. No one's in there generating revenue. No one's in there paying the costs, but your bills are still going, right? People are still sending you invoices for things. You're, you're still ordering supplies. You're, you probably maybe even have staff working while you're out and having a vacation, right? That's right? And so is that really freedom? Because as far as I'm concerned, if I'm sitting by the pool or I'm sitting at the golf course with you, what are you thinking about the entire time? And Matt, you've had conversations with many clients about this, right? Yeah. They're thinking in their head, and I know this for a fact because I've been around these doctors, well, they're sitting there next to me, like wondering how much money they're losing because they're not producing dentistry this day. So yeah. is that freedom? I'm not sure if that's, that's really freedom to me. And the other really critical thing I would challenge docs to think is like, when you have this freedom, as you call it, I would tend to think that let's think about how that freedom looks. Let's say you're working four days a week. Here's the, the other kind of misnomer that goes out there. Well, I'm a solo guy and, or I'm a in a great practice. I'm only working four days a week. Are you really only working four days a week, Doc? Because ah. I think many of you need to be honest with yourselves, right? Mm. You're working eight to five seeing patients, but then I get you're probably waiting after. You're probably going to do all the admin after that. You're probably having to send me an hour or two after work, get all that done. On oh, those Fridays are usually off. You should be golfing. You're not golfing, Doc. You're probably in the office if you're honest to yourself and you're running the business. You're going through all the admin stuff that builds itself up because you're spending all day long doing seeing patients Monday through Thursday and you're busy being a great clinician and a great doctor. So you're working then. Oh, and guess what? You've got emergencies coming on Saturday. Who's picking up those emergencies? Yeah. You are. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know how you think about that, Doc. That doesn't sound like freedom to me. No. So I think I would challenge you guys to say that that's why the multi-doctor model or associate-driven model becomes a certain level of freedom and growth because I'm not the guy who's working six days a week, you know, looking at wondering about how the practice is going. I've got a team, I've got other doctors who can help me. I've got support in my organization. And so I look at it at a point where I now can affect the change and create a model that allows us to take care of patients as well as you do with solo docs, but also do it with the help. So I'm not, when I am off, I'm not the one who has to go about being burdened about how much money we're losing because we have a team and an organization and business that continues to keep moving forward and making revenue and continue to grow the practice in the right way. That's right. And also too, finally, I'll just add, you know, if you believe that you have control and freedom, right, that's the, the story that you're telling yourself, working the way that you're working, is there an ancillary cost, right? Um, and I'm talking about a physical cost, right? Because I have met uh, so many doctors in their, you know, mid 50s or so that their bodies are breaking down terribly because of all the time in the chair, hunched over, working, you know, in the mouth, working on the patient. And, you know, many of them doctors are saying, you know, hey, their doctor, their personal doctor is saying, you're going to have to make some changes here. This is going to, you know, create a right. real debilitating, you know, uh, future for you, if not, you know, uh, a detrimental uh, future to you. So, so right. there's that great cost uh, as well that let's say you are just doing Monday through Thursday, uh, but you're the one in there doing all of the work that there's a great physical uh, cost to that as well. 100%. And that's, and again, that's the reality, right? There's, uh, there's only so much like any, like, it's the same discussion I'm sure pro athletes have. And I mean, 
Dennis, we're not pro athletes, but again, our bodies take a beating. It takes yeah. a beating. And that's why I'm always the first to tell docs, I'm all, you're an amazing doctor, you know, yeah. and you're doing phenomenally well. You've got great, incredible margins. Like I was just talking to a dentist, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago about the fact that he was telling me about, he's bragging and he, he should brag. He had a situation where his overhead was only 40%. This guy's making yeah. 60 cents in the dollar, doing phenomenal. But his, his main concern to me, he was, he was, exhausted and tell me, I don't know how long I can do this for him. Yeah. And one hand, we were talking about how wonderful a business he's got. On the other hand, perfect example, this guy's like in his early fifties and he is beat down. Like his body, he's like, like we were talking about our surgery experiences. I've had two back surgeries. He's had one. And I'm yeah. telling this guy, man, you're going to have another one like me unless we figure this out together. Yeah. So to Matt's point, that's why I would like you guys to consider the idea of why multi-doctor practices are actually for your benefit, not for your, your detriment. Yeah. So, so let me just kind of wrap this up a little bit here, said, I, I think, you know, we started by talking about, um, you know, all the, the questions to ask yourself around this idea is an associate model for you, but where we've right. really landed is yeah. that we, it, we would posit, I, I, we're throwing out that you really yeah. don't have a choice, right? right? You can either join a DSO, be bought by DSO, mm -hmm. or, obviously exit the industry, you know, and maybe yep. there's a lot of docs trying to do that. Well, maybe I'll just mm -hmm. sell my practice and get out of here, you know, yeah. before this, this big wave kind of gobbles me up. Right. Um, or what you can do is build a practice that can thrive in the, the, the conditions that the environment has created. Right. It's not like, it's not like you have to go create new conditions. It's like, you know, if, if we're going to land on Mars and we're going to live on Mars, well, we got to figure out how to thrive in the Martian climate right. uh, in the Martian atmosphere. Right? Um, right. And so what what I think we're talking about is, you know, really creating a practice that can thrive in this um, in, in this marketplace and in, in, in these conditions. Do you have anything to add to that? No, I just think you mentioned it before, Matt, and I think you did a great job of succinctly describing it. You don't have to join a DSO. You can design a practice model so you can do extremely well in the same environments that they live in and do it on your terms, not their terms. I think that's yeah. the one thing, Matt, has always done a really great job of trying to empower our listeners is that you don't have to be, even though we're saying, hey, this is, you know, solo practice is probably not your way to go, but you don't have to be caught in that. I think many people feel trapped, like, well, I'm not a good leader or I'm not comfortable with you know, running a larger practice. I don't know how it would work with associate models. I think what we're trying to share with you is you can do some certain things in your practice and in your own life to actually get yourself ready for it. So you can actually operate and lead an organization. So you can be just as comfortable and operate and do very well in the same models that DSOs exist in. You know, you're not any less able than they are to actually do this for yourself. I think I want to kind of really kind of identify the fact that so many doctors out there feel, well, I'm just not meant for that kind of, well, you are, you just don't, you're not giving yourself enough credit. And more importantly, there's some things we can work on helping you guys with. We can put you in position so you can do that comfortably and do incredibly well and get that freedom that you all want back. Absolutely. Help is on the way. Uh, please join us over at Dental Sherpa's base camp. Uh, that's the place to start the conversation with us. And then we've got some tools that we are in the process of developing and some groups we're in the process of developing to help you guys do this. And, and really with the mission, I'll speak for me, my mission in my heart is to, you know, give those dentists an option to not have to join the DSO. 
right? We don't want to teach them that you don't have to do that because many times you end up giving away your practice for pennies on the dollar, what you could get for it. And then, man, we have, it has been, I don't want to say never seen, but it has been few and far between the doctors who join the DSO and stick around and try to work as an employee of the DSO who actually can make that happen. That usually ends up being a marriage that uh, is not, uh, long suffering um, because of the environment there. So our goal is to is to to help you do that. That's my heart. I know that uh, that's uh, Dr. Lewis's heart here as well. So uh, as I always said, thanks so much for your insight and your wisdom. Man, I learn a lot when we do these things, uh, and I know that our listeners here do as well because we hear from them. And look forward to talking to you on the next episode. I do too, Matt. Thanks again, everyone.